This morning we uh, continue our journey through the book of Psalms, and uh, we are at a time of transition because a lot of us tomorrow start a new school year, and it's a time when we are going to learn new things and maybe start in many ways a new phase in our lives. And many of you may be remember that uh, we've been traveling through the book of Psalms, and today we are getting closer to another encouragement of God's Word in Psalm 50. We are not going to look in detail at the entire psalm, but maybe we will look at one of the most famous verses in the book of Psalms. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Verse 15. Last Sunday, as you may remember, um, me and my family, we went to drop off our daughter to school in Cleveland. And it was a time, and it's still a time of transition. It's a city. She's the oldest in our family. And she uh, is going to live in Cleveland. Uh, We hope that she will do her schooling there. But it's a time of transition because it's a new place for her. We've never been apart. This past week, I passed by her room, and always I wanted to say, you know, is she awake? Is she still sleeping? At night, we waited for her to come down and talk to us and have dinner with us, but she's not there. We call, we text her and say, do you have time to talk? No, I don't. But she does play play cards until 2.30 in the morning. (laughs) So I don't know, something is... But it's, it's the first week of transition. She hasn't started classes yet, so maybe it will get better um, in the coming weeks, hopefully. But the time of transition brings challenges on us. It's sometimes uncomfortable, any transition, any transition. It doesn't have to be school. It can be a transition from a single life to a married life. Even if you plan, even if you plan the wedding for a year and two years maybe, as you get closer, the, the, the week of the wedding, you know, you can get just into a panic mode. You know, you can get a panic attack because you are getting closer to a new life. Even may, maybe your kid is moving from kindergarten to the first grade or from elementary to middle school, and that's a big transition. It's a lot of new things that happen, and the transition, a lot of the transition brings challenges and stress on our relationships, on our life, and sometimes married people are challenged to become, or maybe are about to become single, either through death or through other circumstances. And then we say, always, is it going to be a different life, and am I, am I going to survive without my spouse? Can I make it without my spouse? I made it married life, but what's happening if I become single again? Or maybe it's a new job, transition to a new job. Maybe it's a new business that you start. And transition sometimes brings anxiety in our hearts. And the anxiety, a lot of the time, anxiety is about the future. Anxiety is not being in control being stressed about what might happen tomorrow, being anxious and apprehensive about the unknown of the future. And as we are anxious, we can just turn the news on and know that the entire country today is anxious. If you have Republican friends, they are anxious. If you have the Democratic friends, 
they are anxious. If you have immigrant friends, African-American friends, white friends, or yellow, or red friends, any kind of friends, the country is very anxious in these days. We live in anxious times. A few weeks ago, my wife went to a doctor for just a normal, very easy control and check, you know, and visit. And uh, she was told, okay, we, we see something here. Can we dig more and do some tests? And they did some tests, and then suddenly they called her. And one morning, it just happened, I was with her. And through the phone, they said, well, you have uh, melanoma, which is malignant. And we need to do more things for you. And uh, we, at that point in time, we didn't know how to react but it was a transition from a healthy life, what we thought is a healthy life, to a life now that is so uncertain. And we had no idea, is it going to be bad? Is it going to be a sentence on her length of life? Is she going to live six weeks, six months, six years? How, how is this going to affect her life? And it's anxiety and fear. And at some point, she had to recognize that there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do to change the tomorrow, to change the future, but to come to God and to say, Lord, help me in the length of time you give me. Help me today to live a life that honors you. You gave me so many years. You've been with me in this journey so many years. Help me today to honor you through what I do. And often that anxiety transforms into fear, and our hearts can dwell in fear, the fear of so many things. You see, we don't necessarily think that fear and faith are contradictory. But one time, Jesus was with his disciples and they were on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the storm. And the disciples are afraid that they are going to drown. Jesus is sleeping. They come to him. They wake him up. He calms the sea. And we expect him to look at them and say, why are you afraid? But he's not saying, why are you afraid? This is Luke 8 story. He's saying, where is your faith? Where is your faith? In the middle of the storm, Jesus sees their fear, they are full of fear and anxiety, and yet he says, where is your faith? And the truth is that Christ and God and the Holy Spirit want us as his children, as his church, as his adopted children in his family, as loved by the Father, to know and to experience a life without fear. In fact, for every day of our lives, there is a do not fear in the Bible verse. Do not fear. If something comes from God's word to you today, it's this word. Do not fear. Do not fear. And God wants you to live by faith. Not by fear. By faith. And not by fear. How can we do that? How can we do that? Because the truth is the devil's temptation all the time is to make you fear. And some of us are more anxious and fearful than others, but that's his mission, to show us the storm, to show us the wave, the waves that are coming, to show us the clouds, to show us the bad things that are going to come upon us, and to make us anxious, fearful, 
and then to make us this maybe weaken our faith. But his final goal is to destroy our faith. And, and it can be any kind of fear. He comes to us with any kind of fear. Sometimes he says, you know, you are getting old. You are going to be unable to do the things you did before. It's going to be horrible. Maybe he says, you know, you are getting sick. This diagnosis is going to kill you. This illness is going to kill you. You should be afraid. You should be desperate. Or maybe it's just you are, being, you are going to be alone. You will end up in a nursing home. The kids, the grandkids, the friends that you have today will not visit you anymore. Because you'll be isolated. Or maybe you say, I'm not sure if I, I'm going to have enough money for my retirement years. I will have to work for so many t- years after my retirement age because I don't have enough. Or maybe you can say, I'm afraid that I cannot please anybody. And this is another temptation for us to think that we can do and live our lives to please everybody. We will never be able to do that. We shouldn't be afraid to do what God calls us to do. All of us are heroes But until we face difficulties, we don't know how much courage God gives us, how much strength He gives us. And often He tells us, do not be afraid to rock the boat. Do not be afraid to speak up your mind. Do not be afraid to stand for your faith. Do not be afraid to walk in my name, to bring glory to me. And finally, there is a fear that is bigger than so many other fears, and is the fear of death. And you may say, why is the fear of death the mother of all fears? Because this is the mother of all fears. And one of the reasons is the mother of all fears is that the fear of death, it takes us to something that we cannot control. If you can control some things in your life, maybe some of us think that we can control everything. Death is the ultimate place where we step into death without having any control. We are so out of control. When we step from this life into the next, we feel that death is bigger than us, is stronger than us, and there is nothing we can do. But it's interesting that among other fears that Jesus came to say, do not fear, he also came to conquer in our hearts this fear, the mother of her fear, fears, the fear of death. The author of Hebrews He tells us this. He says, Jesus came to die for us so that he could set people who were held free, who were held slaves by the fear of death. The fear of death enslaves everybody. Because if it's something sure for all of us, unless he comes again, we are all going to die. In the long run, we are all dead. And that's something that we all have to face, no matter how powerful we are. And that's where... The, the psalm comes, and the, the verse, Psalm 50 verse, Call me, it says, in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Call on me. The, what's, what's with this psalm? Why is this psalm so powerful? Because the day of trouble will come sooner or later for everybody. And maybe this, this message is not for everybody today, but sooner or later, we will all experience trouble in life. Now, Psalm 50 was not written by David, but one of his worship leaders, Asaph. And he wrote about a dozen of Psalms, Psalm 50, and then from 73 to 83. Among those is the second longest Psalm, 78. You know, Psalm 119 is the longest, but the next 
second longest is 78, and this is Asaph who wrote that psalm. So in a way, he is part of the book of Psalms, and God uses him. But Psalm 50 is a different kind of a psalm. It's not a psalm like any other psalms. Many other psalms, most of the psalms are just our cry, our prayers. We come and we open our hearts. We pour our hearts to the Lord. David pours ours, he says, Asaph. But this psalm is a psalm that comes from God to us. He is speaking to us. So God says, do you know what? You may be use the book of Psalms. You may be follow my rituals, what I prescribe in the Torah to worship me. But know that I want true worship. And if you look at this psalm, there are several, several places there, several, I would say, uh, segments in the psalm. It starts with a chord that God says, I want all the world to be present. It's almost a parallel to the story of the sheep and the goats in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Everybody, all nations have to be gathered before God for the last judgment. And that's what is done in the beginning verses. God gathers His, His people, all the people, both the covenant people and the Gentiles, or the heathen, what we call them. And then God starts to say, you have a problem that you worship me, you bring me sacrifices, you bring me songs, you even recite the book of Psalms, you even recite and keep my laws, and you bring sacrifices and burned offerings to my tabernacle, but it is just a ritual for you. It doesn't go deeper than the outward sacrifice. You come to that outward sacrifice, you put your animal on my altar, and you think that that's what I need. That they, they make this mistake believing that God depends or God needs what they have. And God looks around and says, do you see the cattle on a thousand hills? They all belong to me. Do you know that every bird of the air belongs to me? Do you know that every insect of the mountains is mine? And God looks at them and says, do you think that I am hungry or thirsty? Do you think that your sacrifices are feeding me? Even if I were hungry, God says, I wouldn't call on you. I wouldn't tell you because there's nothing you can do. And yet God says, I want your sacrifices to come. I want your sacrifices to come. But what type of sacrifices he wants? If you look in verse 14, it's, it's a sacrifice of a pure religion. And he says in verse 14, such, so powerfully, it's a little bit complicated, but he says this. He says, sacrifice tank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows. That's what we were singing earlier. I don't know if Steve was aware, but we were singing earlier that we come to God to fulfill our vows, and we fail. Many times we fail. But we want His breath to be in our lungs as we sing praise to Him. And that's why He says, Sacrifice burned offerings, thank offerings. You know, when they brought an animal, they were usually... They were burning them. Now, let me just talk to you a little bit. Uh, about 1,400 years before our time was a, a guy, a big theologian living in North Africa. His name was Augustine. And he talks about this text. Now, he talks, like I said, in the 5th century. And he uses the word in his translation of the Bible. It, here he says, bring before me burned offerings. You are bringing before me burnt offerings. And, and indeed, all of 
the time I look at the tabernacle and on the altars you bring burnt offerings. Do you know what word he uses? He uses the word holocaust. And you say, why? Well, I just want to, to differentiate and think differently. Holocaust in the 20th century is related to the Nazi and stuff like that. But this is in the 5th century. And that's what in his Bible at the time, they used the word holocaust because the cost, the, last, the, the, the second part of the word means burning, means being consumed by fire. And whole, the first part, it means entire. So when you bring a sacrifice to the Lord, it's like you bring a burn offering, a burn, you, it burns. And Augustine says, it's a holocaust. And God says, I see your holocaust. And God says, that's okay, you obey my law. And that's a ritual. It's a formal ritual. But I want you to have deep religion, true religion. And God says, I want your heart to burn completely of love for me. On the altar, I don't want the burned offerings of animals. They don't satisfy me. What satisfies me is when you put yourself on the altar and your life, your heart, your soul glows out of your love for me. When you are kind of the holocaust, burned by God's love, that's when you worship me truly. And that's what God wants us today. He wants our hearts. You see, it was just a ritual for them. They thought that God depends on one they give. They thought that religion is man's effort, our effort to please the Lord. Okay, here, Lord, here is the grain. Here is, here is the cattle. Here is the sheep, the lambs. And he says, no, 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 I don't want your things. You can bring them, that's okay. But what I want is I want your heart to burn full of love for me. If you can do that, then you will have true religion. And then there is also a critic of the creedal formalism. This is what, what happened. They were saying the right words. They were speaking the right things. But their lives were far away. They came, even they recited the psalms in liturgy. They put the, the burnt offerings and they looked at their neighbors and they slandered them. They mocked them. They bickered. And God says, do you think that that's what I want? I like how Psalm 51, the next psalm, is so clarifying. Do you know that we sing even that song? We say, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit between me. That's in Psalm 51. Verse 10. And that's what the Lord says. Create in me. If you want true religion, it's a pure heart. And in verse 17, it says, My sacrifice, O God. And this is what God wants. My sacrifice, O God, is not a lamb or a goat. It's not any animal. It is a broken spirit. Do you know what Jesus says? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it says in verse 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And that's how we come this morning to God. Whatever attitude you came, I just want you to know that God wants us to come with a broken and contrite heart. He calls you and me to come with that heart and to say, God, we are here and after we confess our sins, like we did this morning, we are here because we want you, through the Spirit, to create in me a pure heart, to renew a steadfast spirit within us. Lord, when I leave from here, I want a new heart, a purer heart. I want to leave from here with a love for you that is abounding. It's like a holocaust. I want you to burn in me.
I want, me, I want my heart to glow with love for you. I want the fire of the Holy Spirit to be in my heart. This psalm ends with God's word of caution. And God basically says, be careful when you worship. Be careful and make sure you do not forget that I am not like you. You worship a God that is not like you. And if you say on any sin, oh, that's okay, I cannot tolerate an immoral lifestyle. You may tolerate, but don't think that I do. And then he says, make sure you continue to honor me, to magnify me, to magnify me all the time. And therefore, the verse comes. If you think what's in the verse, it says, it's a different translation. It says, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. That's the New King James, or the King James. And that's a snake. That's a snake there getting close to swallow that bird. That's her day of trouble. And maybe you look around and you see the big mouth of a snake coming to swallow you. And God says, I want you to worship me. What is true religion? A grateful heart. Look at this. This psalm says, you must come and you must honor me. You must bless me. You must be grateful. An obedient heart. You cannot live this life without obeying me. You cannot come to my place without having a heart of prayer and trust. Trust that what I say in my word is true. Trust that what I promise to you will come to fulfillment. You need a heart of worship and praise. You need to praise me in sickness or in, in good health, in poverty or in riches. You need to worship me no matter the circumstances. I am the Lord and I hold everything together. And you need a heart that magnifies Jesus. You see, God speaks directly to us. And God says, I will deliver you. You have to magnify me. You have to glorify me. And God speaks directly here to us, just as he does to Job. Job was a guy who suffered a lot. He lost his career, his wealth. He was a very wealthy man. He lost all his wealth. He lost his children. And he lost his health. And in that situation, if you look at Job, the first part of the book, and whoever uh, will experience something like that. Who will not be like Job? His prayer, his life, his argument, his talk with God is all about petition. God, why me? Why is this happening to me? And Lord, can you do this for me? Can you do that? Why didn't you help me? Why don't you solve this problem? Why don't you resolve this other problem? And then God starts to answer Job. And this is where he says, where were you, Job, when I did lay the earth's foundation? Tell me. Tell me, Job. You must understand those things, right? Uh, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know Job. And he starts to talk about himself. God starts to promote himself to Job and to say, Job, you think that I'm just little God. But Job, let me tell you, there's a bigger picture of myself. And once Job understands that, once Job starts to say, oh, Lord, he's fallen on his knees. He forgets of his own self-pity. He forgets of all of his requests. He forgets that he lost everything, that all his ten children died, that he is full of boils and sitting on a, on a trash heap outside the city on the garbage heap. And he forgets that his life is miserable because he starts to see the greatness of the Lord. And this is how it ends. He says, my ears have heard of you. My ears before, before even I... And he was a holy man before. That's why he's in this trouble because he's tested. 
When his children went to a party, he was that kind of a guy who will bring sacrifices to the Lord and say, Lord, my children are having a party. I just want to make sure that you forgive their sins because they might say stupid things when they, they have a glass of wine or something. When they are with their friends, they will do other things that might upset you. Lord, would you please forgive them? That kind of a father he was, and he lost all of his children. And he says, my ears in the past, when I worshipped you beautifully, only heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When he sees how great and how awesome his God is, he says, it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter. And this is the Psalms point here. Call on me. In the day of trouble, I will deliver you. Make sure that you remember who delivers you. Make sure that you know who you need to call. How do you see God's strength in the day of trouble? There are several things that if you look at this psalm, and especially at verse 14 and 15, they are telling us, first of all, you must know that God loves you. Do you know that there is a false belief that God wants us to be miserable? A lot of us believe that, that God wants us to be miserable. But the truth is that God loves you as much as he loves his own son. God has a son, which is Jesus. And by adoption, we are all part of his family. It's wonderful here at Hillside, we have a lot of families that have adopted kids. And what's wonderful to watch is how much they love those adopted children. There's no difference between their natural or biological children and their adopted children. They are loved. They are loved with the same love. And that's what God says to you. I love you. I'm not mean. I don't want to make your life miserable. In fact, I want you to be my people and I want you to be your God. That's what I want. That's my covenant with you, my promise with you. And then he says, I want you to magnify myself. What, what can you do? You have to go and magnify, just like with Job. You remember? There's a book called Daniel. And Daniel, at some point, he prays all day in spite of a political interdiction to pray. And he ends up in the lion's den. And he ends up in the lion's den knowing that his God is greater and bigger than his trouble. He has three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the same Babylonian exile. And they are asked to bow down to this foreign god, to the image of the new conquered king. And do you know what they say? They say, we magnify God. There is a God that you don't see, but is bigger than you, king, and we cannot bow down. We will not bow down. It's not a big deal. They just had to go and put some incense or just bend their knee. One knee would have been sufficient to save their lives. And they say, our God, the God that we worship, can save us. He is bigger than this fiery furnace. And he can save us. But even if he doesn't save us, we will not bow down to you. Not saving us from the fire has nothing to do with our faith and trust in him. Because we do not trust in him just for these moments. But we trust in him for the entire eternity. It's not just about this moment of temptation, the day of trouble. But we call God to help us in this day of trouble. And he can deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, king, we will not. And we say, how, how may I pray that prayer for me? Well, whatever it is. Maybe you face temptation to follow other gods or you face a giant of illness. This is one prayer you can pray. Lord, I, I know that you love me. You are bigger than my sickness or you are bigger than my problem. 
and I want you to know that I know how big you are and help me not to be afraid. The day of trouble is coming, but help me to trust in you. So you magnify the Lord. The third day, you encourage yourself. There is a place in the Bible where David is discouraged. He says, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him, but David encouraged himself. Can you imagine going tomorrow at your office or in your school and hearing everybody talk about you behind your back, but you can still kind of see them? This is what David was. They wanted to stone him. His own friends, his own entourage. And you know what David is doing? He's encouraging yourself. And the Lord wants us to encourage. And this is David's prayer. We even sing that. Lord, David says, when I am afraid, when I'm afraid, I'm afraid, Lord, but I will trust in you. That's what I decide. I will trust in you in the middle of the crisis. So you encourage yourself. And then you trust in God's word. You trust in God's word. Do not let your hearts be troubled. These are some words for you and for me from Jesus. And God wants you to know that in this world you will have trouble, but do not fear, Jesus says, because I have conquered the world. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In Isaiah, he says, you will pass through deep waters, but I will be with you. You will walk through fire, but you will not be burned. What is it more fearful? A fire that burns you to life, let's say your life at stake? Or a fire in case of an accident or the eternal fire. And God says, once you are in my hand, I will protect you. And most of the time, we are protected in this life. But definitely, we are protected from the eternal fire. I will continue if you, if you think you are old, right? The, the, word, the, the, the Lord has a promise to you. He says, I will continue to carry you. Even when you are old, I will take good care of you. Even when your hair is gray, I have made you and I will carry you. I will take care of you and I will save you. You don't have to worry about the nursing home. You don't have to worry about the loneliness. The Lord promises himself. You know, there is a leader, Joshua, and he is in a transition. Moses is dead. He has now to take the people of Israel in a transition into the promised land. They've been in the wilderness. He doesn't know how to do it. And the Lord has a powerful message to him besides telling him to obey the law, right? That's the law in his hand. And he says, be strong, Joshua, and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now you can, you can trust God's word. And I want you to take God's word for you. This is a promise to you also. Because you are a child adopted in God's family. This is a promise for you. And, and the Lord says, John, Mary... Heidi, Steve, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Not because life is easy. Do not be discouraged. Not because you will not go to troubles, but because the Lord your God will be with you. It will be with you, Don. It will be with you, Mike. It will be with you, Jennifer, because it will be with you wherever you go. Trust in God's word. And finally, remember that love drives out fear. God wants your heart, not your sacrifice. He wants your heart. God is love, John says, and perfect love drives out fear. The one who fears does not have perfect love. When we love God and we understand who we really love, 
like Job, it, the fear dissipates automatically. How does perfect luck work? Is knowing that God is here with us. He is not only in heaven, but He is in the details of our life. He is involved. He is interested. He wants us to walk with Him every day here on earth. Is not, salvation is not just for heaven. It's here on this earth. He wants us to walk with us. And finally, when you trust Jesus... It's a process, I think, for each and every one of us. It's a learning process. But when we start to trust Him with our finances, with our children, with our health, with our life and death, then the Holy Spirit starts to deliver us, to dissipate that fear, the final, the mother of all fears, the fear of death from our lives, because we know in whom we trust. You know, I told you that uh, we dropped my daughter at Cleveland, and it happened that we were there on Monday during the eclipse, and we were watching the eclipse, and uh, she wasn't watching. She, uh, she had normal glasses, but we did have a pair of glasses that we kind of shared. And this was my time to watch the eclipse. It was a pretty long time. It was about 80% in, in that section of Cleveland, the eclipse. And as I was watching, it was an amazing thing. You know, there were many other telescopes or whatever there. But as we were sitting there and watching, I, I saw the moon, and I saw the sun, and they were so beautifully placed and it's just, it just in the middle of my transition of saying, okay, my daughter, is she going to make here? Is she going to find here a campus that she can study and grow to, she wants to be a nurse, to be a nurse? Is she going to come home in three weeks? Is she going to cry, daddy, come and pick me up? What's going to happen? Is she going to be crushed? Is somebody going to hurt her? You know, she lives downtown Cleveland. It's not the safest place. But, you know, so many worries. But when I looked at that, the more I looked at the eclipse, the more I remember... You know, when, when, when you are in the day of trouble, the Lord says, call on me. And I said, Lord, if you can plan from eternity these planets to line up so beautifully that in our lifetime we can see this solar eclipse, you can surely take care of the details of our little lives. The Lord knew about this eclipse from eternity and planned it for us. They know, the Lord knows about your life and my life. Every day, every insect that you see, every bird that you watch, every flower, he knows about it. Every hair that falls from your hair has a number in his book. He knows everything about everyone. There's nothing unknown to him. So why not trust him? I want you to just follow this little um, video that talks about...
give up our fears to God, we can live a full life in love that He has prepared for us. So which will you choose? Fear or love? Let's pray. Father, we uh, want to give you thanks for the encouragement today that uh, when the day of trouble comes, you want us to call on you, to trust in you. So may we put our full trust in you. May we live a life that is glowing of love for you. May you burn into our hearts. May you grow bigger. And may we magnify you in our lives to the point where we are so amazed by your greatness, goodness, and beauty that our own self-pity is dissipating away. And we trust in you. We step from fear to trust and faith. So build us as a community. Build us as individuals that trust and do not fear because you are with us wherever we go. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand as we sing in response together. Holy, holy, holy.